A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no contract, you say no code. If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, we are on Killer Cop Watch in Alabama. Jerry Carl self-reports. Daniel Tate breaks down some recent energy news and more on today's program. Uh, folks, if you haven't gotten enough of, us, enough, t- uh, enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. Uh, just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. Uh, so if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, or buy our merch, we've got a shirt on pre-order. Pre-orders are going to end this week, this upcoming week. You can buy our new hat. Uh, you can do all of that on our website, tvlr.fm, tvlr.fm, or you can become a patron at patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. Uh, also, if you're a member of a union, then you should get your local to sponsor the show. Reach out to me for more details on that. Um, and I, I said that we were broadcasting live just because that's part of my normal spiel, but we are actually, this is a pre-tape. We are broadcasting live to tape on Tuesday evening, uh, the 9th of August, because uh, Adam is going to be out of pocket on Saturday. So we're going to we're going ahead and knocking it out. So you are. So if there's something if something huge happened later in the week uh, with regards to labor and we didn't touch on it, then that is why. Uh, So (laughs) just send us a message and we'll talk about it next week. That's right. That's right. Um, So we've got uh, Daniel Tate in the Zoom now. Uh, and I'm really there's a lot of stuff has been going on um, with regards to energy recently. So we figured we'd bring friend of the show, uh, Daniel Tate from Energy Alabama on. So, Daniel, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, let's let's shift to the um, to the the, the energy prices. I, you know, a lot of people ha- have been seeing pretty big energy price increases and and um you know similar to some of the political shenanigans that we're shielded from uh because we get power from the tva i think we're also uh to a certain extent shielded from some of the rate hikes uh because our power is generated in large part by hydro and nuclear so um you know there's but but people here are still seeing rate hikes i i just can only imagine that it's worse uh 
down south of here. So uh, talk to us about that. Why is it that our energy prices are increasing? There's a ton of reasons, but the main one is an over-reliance on gas. And so, you know, to your point about how we're still seeing increases here in the Tennessee Valley because we get our power from, from TVA, you know, the more reliant a utility is on gas uh, to generate electricity, the, the bigger the spikes, the bigger the burden is because of a lot of reasons, right? So there are COVID-related reasons. There are supply chain-related reasons, a big one being the war in Ukraine that's uh, put a big damper on global supplies and is forcing a lot of uh, American supplies out onto the global market to be exported to Europe and places uh, in, in East, uh, East Asia. So that's driving the price here at home up uh, as a lot of our supplies that have traditionally been used domestically are now making their ways overseas. So there's a lot of reasons why gas prices are up, but the, the main reason is that we, we are essentially are using way too much gas anyways to generate our electricity. And this is something that you know just really grates at me and frustrates me and, and us at Energy Alabama is a sense that, I mean, we went to the Public Service Commission. Alabama Power just got approval to buy and purchase more than two gigawatts of new gas. I mean, to put that in perspective, you're talking about mm. probably a, you know a million to two million homes can be powered by that much that much juice. So that's a lot of new capacity that they added. And we argued, you know, gas prices may have been low before, but they're not going to necessarily remain low forever. Like, right. listen, this is not the first time we pay a lot of money at the pump. This is not the uh, first time we've ever paid a lot of money for gas prices, uh, for mm -hmm. natural gas. So it's not unforeseeable that this wouldn't happen again. But, you know, right. we and ad other advocates were ignored. Um, and this has been happening around the country, right? So. Uh, as a lot of utilities uh, shut coal plants down uh, rather than build renewable energy or renewable energy plus battery storage, invest in things like reducing demand through things like energy efficiency and helping people save energy. Uh, utilities that are, again, government, you know, mandated monopolies that make money by building big power plants, they want to big, big build big power plants. So that's what they did. And uh, despite all of our protestations, uh, they got approved, right? Because they controlled the Public Service Commission. And so now if you look at Alabama Power specifically, they are, you know, way heavier on gas than uh, TVA and many other utilities are. And so that's why you're seeing such a massive increase because that fuel cost uh, right. is really, really high. And it's being passed along directly to consumers. I mean, the second that gas prices on the market go up, they just file something with the Public Service Commission and says, hey, we need to charge regular mm -hmm. folks more. Gas prices right. went up. But they, they, they have no burden. They have no skin in the game uh, because it's just a pass-through. They, they, they don't care anymore. They got what they wanted with the gas plant construction, and, and, and they're good. And so mm -hmm. as a result, you know, regular folks are getting hurt. Yeah, that definitely sounds like an issue. What, what Do you know uh, what the percentage of gas uh, to generate electricity is that, that Alabama power uses versus uh, the TVA here in Huntsville, North Alabama? Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head the exact mix. Um, I could probably find that out, but it's it's probably, you know, probably close to half or uh, I, I hate even to speak that. I, I could be wrong, but I know that the the total coal and gas is well over 50 percent. Uh, yeah, for Alabama mix. power? So, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. 
whereas it's a good bit lower uh, for TVA. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the um, what are some of the things that a maybe a motivated public service commission could be doing right now to <laughs> uh, uh, to try to bring down prices? One uh, that actually prices. serves the public. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a motivated public service commission would be, I think, the number one thing that they would be doing is investing heavily and forcing the utilities to invest heavily in energy efficiency. I mean, at the end of the day, the quickest and most important thing that we could do to help people reduce their bills is to reduce their consumption. And so, you know, in Alabama, we don't have any energy efficiency programs whatsoever. I mean, we we are the lowest in the country. Alabama Power uh, ranks lowest of all utilities in the country. The Public Service Commission doesn't make them do anything on the energy efficiency front. So, you know, we use a ton, A, because of our climate, B, because our regulators have been asleep at the wheel. And we also have uh, decently high rates that are going up. So bills are really high here. Uh, so energy efficiency is clearly number one to me. Uh, number two is is really getting aggressive on renewable energy, especially with battery storage. Um, if you think about replacing a gas plant, you know, one of the big things that opponents to uh, or I should say supporters of gas would say as well, you know, gas, I can run whenever I want and I can fire it up and sun your solar plants only going to run when the, when the sun's up. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a solar plant with about a four hour battery or even a little bit longer, um, you're getting to about 97 to 99% of the performance out of a, that you would get out of a gas plant. So what I mean by saying that is when you take a big battery plant and a big solar plant, you are essentially getting together the exact same operating characteristics uh, as a gas plant. You can dispatch it when you want. You can use right. it when it's, when it's necessary. And listen, Alabama Power, to their credit, brought a few uh, renewable energy projects to the commission a couple of years ago, and they, their own numbers said that they would actually help reduce the amount of money that customers would have to pay. So Alabama Power admitted to the commission that if it would just let it build some renewable energy, uh, they could uh, reduce their revenue requirement. They could potentially even uh, reduce bills, uh, but the commission denied it and didn't let <laughs> wow. them do, do that. So, um, But they let them go you know, forward the, with the, the gas plant. <laughs> yeah. The the, wow. the one time that Alabama Power did something that was like halfway decent, you're like, okay, maybe we're getting somewhere. They, they still can't get that approved. Um, so, mm. you know, those renewable energy and, and battery storage projects would be gold right now uh, because there's no fuel cost. There's, there's no fuel cost to pass along. Um, and that would right. put a direct uh, reduction on how much gas – Alabama Power has to go out and buy on the market at a very high rate right now. And I I really like what you open with, with energy efficiency, because I think there's an opportunity there to create a lot of jobs, you know, sending people out to assist with that and and to weatherize people's homes to make them more efficient. Uh, And that benefits the individual, the homeowner, the, you know, their citizens themselves with uh, reduced energy bills uh, while creating jobs. I mean, it's it seems like it seems so simple. It seems so clear cut. Uh, and it's just really it's so frustrating. And I, I can imagine how frustrating it must be for y'all at Energy Alabama uh, when you have options on the table that mm. could actually really help Alabamians uh, and, and help our environment as well and the public service commission is just uh 
just obstinate. Yeah, I want to say two quick things if I can about energy efficiency. One is that there, there is not a single industry in all of America that creates more jobs per dollar invested than energy efficiency. It creates the most jobs of any industry. And it makes sense for a variety of reasons, but the chief among them is the fact that what you just got at, right? Energy efficiency is a labor intensive hmm. uh, business. You've got to get people out in homes. You got to get people out in businesses to do projects. They got to build stuff. Uh, they got to retrofit things. And so that, that puts people to work. Uh, and then the second is that I think we, even though we don't have any energy efficiency in Alabama, I still want us to be intentional about when, if it ever comes to this day where we get a public service commission that's awake, I want to make sure that those energy efficiency programs are targeted uh, at especially low to moderate income residents who are going to be the ones that are most struggling with their utility bills. They're going to be the ones that are living in the housing stock that is in most need of upgrade. And we cannot forget renters. We can't forget mm -hmm. apartment complexes, mobile homes, things of that nature, where I think when you look at some programs around the country, even those that do really well, they're still leaving a lot of people out uh, because they're not capturing those types of, of residents of the state who need the help the most. Right, right. I, I think that's huge. That's I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, what I'm hearing is economic development. And, you know, politicians love to talk about economic development, uh, but in their eyes, it's almost always, you know, tax giveaways and mm -hmm. subsidies and incentives to some out-of-state corporation uh, who wants non-union labor, typically. Uh, but what you just described is a huge opportunity for economic development in the state of Alabama that would help the people who are doing the work and help the people who are getting service by the work. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a real shame that um, that you know they're I I almost say playing politics, but I don't even know that that's just just allowing themselves to be played by the people who are going to benefit from it. And you know, I really really do not think that um, what we're talking about right now is very uh, very controversial. And I, I think that it's super common sense. Um, and I think that. Uh, that's why you're not going to hear this kind of critique <laughs> of Alabama power in other, you know, news entertainment places. Um, it, it's uh, because if you go to people and and they begin to have more of an understanding of of just how kind of craven uh, the Public Service Commission has been in service of Alabama Power and the utility companies in Alabama. I think that uh, you know I I think that people are going to have an issue with that, and I, I don't think that it takes you being particularly radical uh, on on the left end of the spectrum to to understand that. Um, with that though, oh yeah, go ahead. No, I'd say this, it sure doesn't. We we talk to people across the political spectrum who are, who are pretty outraged. Let's talk about then the Inflation Reduction Act, and and this is this is a bit more political, but I do think that there's you know there, I, I think that it, it's important to have maybe a clear eyed view of actually what it does. Um, and I sent you the first thing that made me think, oh, okay, I want to get Daniel on, and 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 it ended up. 
probably will spend the least amount of time on this, but that's fine. We had a lot of other good stuff to talk about. Uh, Twinkle Kavanaugh, uh, our Public Service Commission president, um, had an article in Yellowhammer News about how this is a uh, socialist boondoggle, the Inflation Reduction Act, and that's it actually going to increase energy prices somehow so can you work that out for us daniel (laughs) i I wish i could in in this particular (laughs) case um you know you're looking at a bill here that does a lot in the energy sector and and i should Mm -hmm. uh note that and we can talk more about it some interesting labor provisions in here as well uh, y'all are way more uh, y'all are way smarter than I am on what these will mean at the end of the day. But if you look at the bill as a whole, it is more than paying for itself. So mm-hmm. any money that's being spent uh, by the federal government for, say, tax credits for renewable energy or electric vehicles or things like that to help us uh, reduce uh, fossil fuel consumption or increased consumption, I mean, increased production, period, because mm-hmm. we're going to need more more juice with more EVs and things like that on, out there. Um, it, it's being paid for and then some, so I'm, I'm not really sure how we get to a world where this is a boondoggle that is going to increase our costs. Uh, that just is completely divorced from reality. But Well, not only is it for paid course. for, I mean, like, it's paid for and a half like the it raises 700 billion in revenue and it only spends something like 350 billion uh there's three or 400 billion going to deficit reduction which i think i think probably is not (laughs) particularly helpful but you know whatever if it got mansion to sign on to it then then fine i guess but um i I just i can't understand i i don't know I don't understand even how I, – I don't even understand the theoretical argument about what energy provisions are in there that would hypothetically increase costs. It's, it just seems to yeah. me like, oh, it's a Democratic bill. I'm going to pretend like it's bad. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say that, you know, there is – again, that – position is divorced from reality um yeah well, you, well tell us then, you, tell us then about the the reality as soon as you you finish that point then what it, what are the energy provisions in the inflation reduction inflation reduction it, Act? It, yeah i was gonna say that even if you believed that this was like say there say there wasn't going to reduce the deficit or you know that wasn't paid for you know from the state level and down like okay well let's just assume that that were the case like that's a federal problem that the federal mm-hmm. government's going to have to fix from an Alabama power rate payer an Alabama public service commission standpoint. These are still credits that are going to reduce the cost to do things. And that can be for Alabama power to do things that can be for consumers to do things. And so at the end of the day, even if there weren't this bill were not paid for, which it is, uh, or that it wasn't even paid for in the half, which it is, you know, it would still be reduced reducing the cost of new energy supplies. So that's why the theoretical argument is so hard for you to understand because it's so hard for me to understand. Like these are things that by their very definition reduce the cost of acquiring new uh, new energy sources. So it's again, just divorced from reality. It's political grandstanding, but par for the course for this commission. 
Right, right. So what are the what are some of the energy provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act? Yeah, I mean, there's a few that I thought were pretty interesting that I wanted to bring up today, and, and that is, you know, it's an extension of uh, tax credits for renewable energy. You know, most people are familiar with a solar tax credit or a wind tax, uh, a wind uh, production tax credit. Uh, so there's a variety of provisions in there that will extend those credits, eventually make them uh, technology agnostic. So basically, as long as there's zero carbon credits, mm. you know, go out. Uh, there's also some credits in there for um, nuclear power plants, especially those that are economically disadvantaged to keep them online. That's another thing important to the labor community. Uh, one thing that I wanted to mention from a labor perspective is that I feel very strongly about is that this has been a, a critique uh, of the renewable energy, energy industry, and rightfully so, that it has not been a very organized uh, area of, of the economy. And so a lot of people would say, well, why do I want to lose good union paying jobs in one industry to you know, prop up another industry that, that doesn't have that? And this is the first time I think I've seen where these credits are being tied to uh, different levels of Buy American provisions, uh, mm-hmm. different levels of apprenticeship and prevailing wage. So for instance, um, the 30% you know, tax credit for solar and wind and things like that uh, would actually drop to just a 6% credit uh, based on what I'm reading uh, if prevailing wages uh, and apprenticeship targets are not met. Now, of course, there's some interesting Mm -hmm. uh, talk there about, well, who's going to enforce this? And I don't necessarily have all the answers to that type of thing. But in order to get the full tax credit, you know, companies are going to have to be paying prevailing wage. Um, they're going to have to have apprenticeship programs. And then there's even some awesome like adders on top of that. So you can get more than 30% tax credit for using a certain percentage of American-made steel, iron, manufactured pro- uh, products, and things like that. Um, you know, if you're working in a community that's been disadvantaged uh, by the reduction in the coal workforce, you get an extra credit on top of that if it's wow. for low-income uh, houses or low-income communities, you get a credit even on top of that. So they they have been thoughtful in thinking, how do we make sure that these credits are going to projects that are paying good wages, that are building a good workforce for the long haul and delivering benefits to the people who need them the most, the communities that have been hit hardest so far and those that are struggling with the highest uh, burdens and in, in, in utility bills. So. I'm not saying this is going to solve all the problems. It's definitely not. But this right. is the first piece of legislation I've ever seen address those issues in clean energy, and that makes me very happy to see. Yeah, and I was I was not aware of a, of several of those. I, I I know that you were you know soliciting some um, some stuff from folks on Twitter, but but I, I didn't catch a lot of that. That is uh, some really really fantastic stuff. Um, from somebody who has a particular interest in organized labor, but even as you know, these the, what a lot of these things that you were talking about, they benefit workers whether or not they are in unions. Uh, prevailing wage is whether or not you're in a union, you get prevailing wage on a prevailing wage contract. Um, all, all of these things, it, it's not union specific. Of course, union contractors are going to have an easier time of doing that because they haven't been skating by on paying people starvation wages. And so they're going to be more used to, you know, paying people what they're worth. And, and it's going to be easier for them to kind of swallow that. Uh, but 
they don't have to be a union contractor um, to, to get these benefits. They just have to pay people, you know, good things and, and teach them well. Uh, this is something that that people really don't understand, I think, that that aren't um, that aren't familiar with trades work is that um, my understanding is that non-union contractors to the extent that they have apprenticeship programs, they are teach to the task. You don't really become a tradesman. You might be become well-skilled in whatever particular job you are going to be working for that contractor, but you will not become a skilled electrician. You, you as a as a craft, you will not become a skilled iron worker. You will not become, you know, a skilled uh, pipe fitter. Whereas these union apprenticeship programs and and these apprenticeship programs that are uh, Department of Labor certified, which I'm, which are mostly union apprenticeship programs, which I'm assuming is the apprenticeship uh, requirements that you, that that were tied to that, because it seems like that that's normally what happens. Um, those are ju- just categorically different than what you're going to get in non-union ABC contractors. So this is all really good stuff to hear, Daniel. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about this. Yeah. And I'll just say one more thing that on the, on the electric vehicle side, they, they have re- removed the cap, you know, General Motors and Tesla hit their cap. So there'll be a lot mm. more vehicles that are eligible for the tax credit. And they also did the same thing. They, they broke the, the tax credit in two and, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but you know, half of the credit is available for, um, you know, vehicles under a certain price and then uh, trying to, you know, encourage more affordable uh, vehicles to the masses and then also encouraging assembly and sourcing of batteries and production of batteries and things like that in the U.S. Uh, So, again, another good thing uh, for for workers here in, in the U.S. That's awesome. All very good things to hear, Daniel. We appreciate your time. How can folks find out more? Yeah, if you want to find out more about us, please go to energyalabama.org. We got plenty of stuff out on our website and then we're on all the major social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and uh, especially snarky TikTok accounts. So, <laughs> at Energy Alabama. All right, folks. Daniel, we appreciate it. We've been talking to Daniel from Energy Alabama. We are going to head to a break, and we will be right back. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. 
Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. I'm all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We just wrapped a fantastic conversation covering a lot of ground with Daniel Tate from Energy Alabama. If you missed that part of the discussion, if you missed that part of the program where we were going over Twinkle's... uh, 
response to the Inflation Reduction Act, to the energy provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act. If you missed our conversation talking about why your energy prices are high, if you missed us talking about all sorts of stuff, about Alabama Power using your dollars to spy on people, (laughs) Uh, then uh, find us on YouTube. We're at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, We are at the Valley Labor Report on YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can watch uh, that conversation in all of those places. So it was really great. Highly recommend it. Um, We got a. We have several smaller stories for you this week. Uh, We are, like I said, um, broadcasting not live. We are taping this on Tuesday, uh, so unfortunately we're not going to get that uh, uh, audience interaction that we're used to. Uh, but if you do have something that you want to contribute to the program, if you've got a comment, feel free to send us a text message at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857, or you can leave us a voicemail. If you call or text us, uh, we might answer your question or respond to your comment on the next program. So uh, this first story that we've got here is um, just a, just a bit old, but still you know still relevant in the content of it, uh, which is that re- Republicans just really they can't help but um, accidentally let their unpopular economic policies slip out every now and then. Um, and it, that is why they want to try and scare you with the culture war stuff, right? That is why they want you to be upset about Dr. Seuss or Minnie Mouse wearing a pantsuit or trans people existing. That's why they want you to be upset about all these things so that they don't see you taking money out of their pockets. Um, they want you mad at your neighbors so that you aren't mad at them. Um, but like I said, you know, sometimes they, uh, they, they drop the culture war for a little bit and they talk about their terrible economic policies. And it's been having, happening for a while with Republican Rick Scott from Florida, whose tax plan would literally increase taxes on the poor and cut taxes on the rich. And I'm not talking about, you know, oh, Proportionately, it would make the burden fall more heavily on the poor than it does now. No, 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 no. I'm talking literally in absolute dollars and as an in, as a percentage of their income. It would increase taxes on the poor. He is actually running on a platform of increasing taxes on the poor and cutting taxes for the rich. That's Republican Rick Scott from Florida. Um, And uh, Marco Rubio similarly released his uh, pro-family plan, which would include stealing money from widows and widowers if their spouse dies before they reach retirement. (laughs) Very pro-family stuff. Well, it happened again last week. Happened again last week with Wisconsin Senator, also a Republican, obviously, Ron Johnson. Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson. Let's let's just listen to his. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Let's just listen to his appearance on the regular Joe show. Defense spending has always been discretionary. No VA spending is discretionary. What's mandatory are things like Social Security and Medicare. If you qualify for the entitlement, you just get it no matter what the cost. And our problem in this country is that 
more than 70% of our federal budget, of our federal spending, is all mandatory spending. It's on automatic pilot. It, it never, you just don't do proper oversight. You don't get in there and fix the programs going bankrupt. It's just on automatic pilot. What we ought to be doing is we ought to turn everything into discretionary spending so it's all evaluated so that we, we can fix problems or fix programs that are broken that are going to be going bankrupt. But no. Because, again, as long as things are on automatic pilot, we just continue to pile up debt. It's mortgage our kids' future. It's this massive debt burden. And you think, I don't, I, I, this is, I'm only showing you the clip, and I don't know what happened after that. But it almost sounded like the host was like, well, now, hold on, you know, <laughs> like, like he was scared because of how much he was revealing there. Right. He, this is insane This made your Social stuff. Security and Medicare discretionary. This is insane stuff, right? This is crazy. Talking about what does it mean if it's discretionary? It means that they might not renew it. It means that it is more subject to ghouls like him and even Barack Obama, who, you know, let's remember, Barack Obama did a big thing about trying to cut Social Security. Um, His grand bargain. Yeah. The obvious result of making Social Security and Medicare discretionary would would be that ghouls like Barack Obama and Ron Johnson would have an easier time clawing back what little money we give folks in their old age to keep them out of poverty. We put it in mandatory spending specifically so that if you qualify, you get it no matter what. He said it like it was a bad thing, like, oh, if people qualify for retirement, if people qualify for health care, they get it when they're old. Oh, man. If that's... they live long enough, <laughs> they just get it? Are you, wow. are you serious? If that's you've... a little too generous. <laughs> if you've worked your whole life in paid into it, America, every paycheck, paid into it, and you qualify for it, you just get it. What kind of crazy world are we living in? That's insane. We did that specifically so. We put it in mandatory spending specifically so that if you qualify for it, you get it no matter what. And it's up to people like him that make sure that it, that make, to make sure it gets paid for. You know, he was talking about, oh, uh, uh, you know, we don't evaluate it. We do evaluate it. We know what the finances are and we know exactly what, if, what, uh, uh, how to make it solvent forever. Until we die, all we have to do is remove the cap on the Social Security tax. Because right now, if you make over, what is it, $250,000, $150,000, your $150,001 is not taxed for Social Security. So you've got all these billionaires on the super majority of their income, like 99% of their income, they're not paying in to Social Security like the rest of us are, on 100% of our income. So if you just do that, just that one thing, you make them pay Social Security tax on all of their income, like the rest of us do, Social Security and Medicare are solvent forever. You but know, they, they don't want to do that. Uh, the thing about this discretionary argument, we hear the exact same garbage from Alabama Republicans every year. Every year in the legislative session, there's always at least some of the Republicans who bring this point up, whether the, you know whether they push for it hard in the session or not. 
it's a trope at this point about the education trust fund and the general fund. Alabama is uh, somewhat unique in that we do have two state budgets. And the education trust fund budget was set up just like you described with Social Security and Medicare for the sole purpose of ensuring that dollars collected for public education are spent in public education. Uh, and yet it's a, at this point, worn out trope among Alabama Republicans that that's, that's one of the big problems we have right. in Montgomery is, you know, if only we had one budget. There's no need for, for having a separate education trust fund. Right. Uh, and, of course, the education community fights back against these efforts time after time after time because we know what that means. Right. If you're going to take away the dedicated budget, we know that means you're trying to take mm -hmm. away the money in that budget. Right. <clears throat> right. It, uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, that's the Republican ec economic message. Raise taxes on the poor, cut taxes for the rich, take money from old folks, take money from widows and widowers. That's it. That's it. I mean, that's literally it. Make sure the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And everybody else in between struggles more and more. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, but lest you think that it's only Wisconsin senators who are doing crazy things uh, in the news this week, uh, Alabama Republican congressperson Jerry Carl was recently in uh, Coke-funded, flat-earth, military coup, crypto-bro-boosting 1819 news because he said that the uh <laughs> the headline is just the head it's almost as if Jeff Poor is the one that wrote this headline it's almost as if Jeff Poor is doing like a psyop here and wants Jerry Carl to to look bad so let's just let's just read this headline from from 1819 news US representative Carl says hiring 87,000 additional IRS agents makes him quote a nervous wreck <laughs> huh. Really? F quote, folks need to be worried. Uh, <laughs> Which folks? <laughs> I pay my taxes, buddy. I don't know what you're on about. I am not worried at all by more IRS agents being hired, actually. Um, but it's very interesting that you are. <laughs> Yeah, most of us don't have enough money or enough streams of income or assets for taxes to uh, to really be – for it to be that big of a concern that we're going to get audited. Yeah. Uh, and I've been audited before. It sucks. Uh, I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that I was a registered lobbyist in the state of Alabama at the time. Yeah. Um, but – Interesting, interesting uh, headline from from Mr. Carl there. I do have to wonder what he's up to financially. Yeah, why is he a nervous wreck? I mean, that is just what a self report. Yeah, yeah. what a self report. Um, and, and you know, I mean, the, the why, why is it? Why is it that we're hiring? Uh, that that you know, there's a need to hire extra IRS agent. It's because the IRS has been defunded. Uh, the IRS has been defunded systematically, and since 2010, since 2010, when the defunding began, uh, less and less audits have been conducted, and more and more of the audits that have been conducted have been on 
poorer and working class people like Adam and fewer and fewer because they have less resources. Fewer and fewer of the audits have been on the wealthiest people, right. the people who are actually the IRS folks would actually get a good amount of money from. But why is it that they don't spend limited resources on folks like that? Because folks like that have fancy smancy lawyers. Adam does not have fancy smancy lawyers. Right. And so, um, <laughs> you know, even though these people are obviously cheating. And uh, what is it about a trillion dollars? Um, it's some inordinate it's about a trillion of, dollars that has not been collected yeah. uh, from the wealthy. It's some inordinate amount of money. Um, and 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 that's what's been happening. There's been fewer and fewer people being hired. Um, people are not being replaced at the IRS. And so uh, folks are able to cheat on their taxes because there's just not anybody Backchecking them. There's just not anybody backchecking them, and so this is a you know this is a, something that we obviously need, and this is and it, again it's something every time, every time that enforcing the law would hurt bosses, every time that enforcing the law would hurt Republican donors, every time that enforcing the law would hurt. The wealthiest people in the United States of America, those are the only times that law and order Republicans suddenly turn into liberal loosey-goosey like, ah, uh, you know, maybe maybe Defunders. we don't. Yeah, maybe we don't need to have people hired to enforce the law. Maybe that's not something that, that we need to have. Because in a certain sense, you could say, I mean, in a certain sense of a word, the IRS agents are law enforcement agents. That people at the Department of Labor are law enforcement agents. That people at OSHA are law enforcement agents. I mean, literally, they enforce the law. They are people tasked with enforcing the law. But because labor laws, because safety regulations, because tax law... Some of it, a lot of it is written to the advantage of wealthy, but of wealthy people, but the parts that aren't, because those affect wealthy people, Republicans don't want those laws enforced. Instead, they want the laws enforced that are going to criminalize, not even civil penalties, that are going to criminalize poor and working class people like you and me, that are going to throw us in cages for smoking a blunt. That's the kind of laws that they want enforced. That, like we talked to conservative lawyer Matt Clark, putting somebody in prison for life for stealing a staple gun. Those are the laws that they care most about enforcing. Because it's not like a principle. It's not like a principle like, oh, I just care so much about the law being enforced. It's, it's obviously right. not that. Like, I don't have a principle about, you know, and, and, and a total, um, an unbiased principle about neutral law enforcement. Like, oh, if it's a law, I think we should, uh, you know, resort as many resources as possible to enforcing it. I think some laws are stupid and we shouldn't enforce them and we should get rid of them. And I don't have like, but they pretend like they just have this neutral law and order thing. And it's not. They're lying to you. They're lying or they're mistaken about their own beliefs. Right. Right. And. By the way, just for the record, uh, from 2015 to 2019, audits plunged by 44%, according to the Treasury Inspector General. But interestingly enough, 
They fell by 33% for low to moderate income filers, but those who made more than a million dollars, it dropped by 75%. Hmm. So that's the thing. Um, if, if these new IRS agents are going to be looking at the corporations and the millionaires and billionaires who have been cheating on their taxes all these years, then by all means, go for it. Yeah. Uh, definitely do not want to see it. Uh, more scrutiny and more audits on working class folks, folks who are, you know, self-employed, who are trying to combine multiple streams of income, you know, gig workers. A lot of folks are, are misclassified as independent contractors. You know, so definitely don't want to see that burden fall on them because that's not who this should be directed at. It should be directed at the millionaires, the billionaires, and the corporations uh, who, unlike most of us, have been getting away with avoiding taxes. Let's head to a break really quick, and we're going to figure out what we are going to talk about for the last 20 minutes of the show. Folks, you're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Jacob Morrison and Adam Keller. Stay tuned. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. creates all wealth all wealth should go to labor and you are listening to the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison my co-host is adam keller and uh folks we are uh coming to a close on today's pre-taped show we began talking about some uh, political shenanigans, and we have uh, had some other shenanigans going on here in Huntsville, right, Adam? Oh, you know it, of course, in the star of Alabama, Huntsville. And for over a year, we've discussed on this show how the tragic disgrace of Jeffrey Parker's murder took place at the hands of Huntsville Police Officer William Darby. And unfortunately, we have yet another disgraceful update to this case. For those of you not familiar, uh, really recommend the reporting of Ashley Remkes from AL.com. Uh, I'm going to quote a little bit from her original piece uh, about this case. On April 3rd, 2018, Parker was suicidal and he called 911 in a cry for help. Officers responded, and they found him on his couch with a gun pointed at his head, a gun later determined to be a flare gun. While the veteran officers were on the scene de-escalating the situation, Officer William Darby arrived at the scene. Quoting from Remkus, quote, body camera video showed Darby grab a shotgun from his patrol car and sprint to the house. Less than a minute later, he shot Parker in the face. Ultimately, Officer Darby was charged with murder and convicted by a jury in May 2021, and that was despite the city of Huntsville's steadfast support of Darby and their efforts to keep information about this case from the public. 
That was after the Huntsville City Council approved $125,000 in public tax dollars to pay for Darby's defense attorneys. And most amazingly to me is that even after a guilty murder conviction, Huntsville Police Chief Mark McMurray and Mayor Tommy Battle continued to support Darby and claim he acted within policy. The mayor said he, quote, disagreed with the verdict. Not only them, but the president of the national, the largest national police union, Federation of Police, has continued to advocate for Huntsville's murderer cop and go on local radio shows talking about how this is a wrongful conviction. Right. This is the law and order crowd, right, Uh, that we were just discussing. Well, the city's efforts to shield this case from the public and the press won them the dishonor of the so-called Golden Padlock Award, uh, which we discussed earlier this summer. Each year, investigative reporters from across the country nominate the most secretive public officials and government entities for the prize. And it's really something that a city the size of Huntsville won this dishonor over cities and other government agencies across the nation. And now the secrecy continues. Uh, Again, from Ashley Remkes on her latest piece, the city of Huntsville won't reveal how much public money it is spending on outside lawyers, arguing that information is confidential under attorney-client privilege. AO.com requested that the city release records of expenditures related to the case of William Ben Darby, the Huntsville police officer convicted of murder last summer for shooting and killing Jeff Parker. So, they're going to keep it secret. Your tax dollars at work, paying for outside attorneys. Uh, How are they even doing that after having spent... So, did they... Did they allot $125,000, but we don't know how much of that they have spent? Or are we, they allotted $125,000 and they went over it and now they're continuing to spend money and we don't know how much? Frankly, I think we don't know. And I think that's part of what AO.com is trying to get out. Uh, maybe maybe I'm mistaken there, but I think that's kind of the problem is that we, we don't know. And because they won't release any records... You know, it's it's hard to figure out what you know. Is this part of the hundred twenty five thousand, or is it additional funding? Uh, where's this coming from in the budget? A lot of questions here, and you know, unfortunately, the city of Huntsville just refuses to be transparent. And to me, it's interesting that the city of Huntsville promotes itself as one of the best places to live in the United States. But obviously, police violence and lack of government transparency are not two of the factors they consider. The people of Huntsville really deserve better. Absolutely. Um, I don't even understand how they are getting the argument that the amount of money spent is attorney-client privilege. Um, Or where these payments are going to, right? If the city of Huntsville is writing a check to an attorney... That should be public record. They don't have to tell us everything that was discussed in the lawyer's office, right? That's that's fair enough. But the the payments themselves? Come on now. Yeah. 
That's unfortunately not all for Alabama Killer Cop news, though. Aaron Cody, Montgomery police officer who killed a man in 2016, was charged with murder and convicted of manslaughter. He is back in the news because the Alabama Supreme Court has said they will hear his appeal after an appeal was denied uh, by the Court of Criminal Appeals. And of course... He got a huge puff piece in Coke-funded Flat Earth Military Coup Crypto Bro Boosting 1819 News, talking to all sorts of folks that knew this guy about what a good person he is, blah, 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 he, you know, uh, not one of them, he's, uh, you know, he, he's not a bad cop, he's a good guy, he just wanted to protect his community, he got all these fancy cop awards... But uh, not one of those people that they interviewed, nor the convicted killer cop himself, ever spent any time reckoning with the fact that a man is dead because of him. Uh, There is no sense of recognition of the humanity of of the guy that he killed and was convicted of manslaughter for. Uh, No reckoning with the lives that are affected by his absence. No remorse about, even it would seem to me, if I was a good cop, I would hate to have had to kill someone. And if it were the case that I felt like I had to kill somebody and that was the only way that I was going to make it out of their life, I would still be somewhat not happy about that. Right. You you would think it would weigh on you. You would think it would weigh on you. If you have any sorts of, like, morality. Yeah, if you haven't been totally warped and perverted by an ideology that says that this is good. The craziest thing, though, is that this is this is supposed to be a news piece right this is filed under news in 1819 news this is not an an opinion piece this is not a press release from the defense this is supposed to be news and in all of the ad reads that uh, scaredy cat Williams on right side radio has that's something that they emphasize. That's something that they give him in his copy, Philliams on Right Side Radio. They're like, oh, yeah, if it's news on our blog, it's just the straight dope, man. No skew. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to have people in the opinions, and they're going to say opinions. But, man, if it's if it's in the news section, you can take that to the bank. That's like the whole thing, because they're always talking about, oh, you can't trust the news anymore. You can't even trust it in the news section. You just can't tell tell the news from the opinion section anymore in liberal media. But in conservative media, in 1819 News, we're going to have, it's going to be the news section, and you're going to be able to take it to the bank. That's what they say. Uh, but there is not one word in this news piece from the perspective of folks familiar with the victim. So not only are the people, not only is the killer cop or his friends or his family or his, or, you know, the buddies of this killer cop, uh, not only are they not reckoning with the fact that, that he killed a man, uh, this news piece, quote unquote, 
has nothing from the perspective of the people that uh, of the person that was killed. Nothing at all. Not even anything from the time of the original trial. They didn't. They couldn't even be bothered to go to AL.com or the Montgomery Advertiser or some even some some right wing news thing from the time and just pull a quote. Nothing, not even a shred of argumentation from the prosecutor. If you read this and you were a, you were certainly if you read this and you were a back the blue guy or if you were just a centrist, you know, like, I don't know, some cops are good, some cops are bad kind of guy. And you read this piece, you would think that this was a wrongful conviction, presumably, because of the way that they present the facts in the case. But they don't present even what the prosecution was arguing much less you know any the best the best way to phrase it they didn't present any of the any of the anything from the family of the victim nothing like that you wouldn't know that this case was moved from Montgomery where the shooting happened to white majority Ozark Alabama in Dale County at the request of the defense because racial prejudice would affect the jury in black majority Montgomery you wouldn't know any of that kind of stuff. You wouldn't know that uh, the reason that the guy who that uh, uh, you wouldn't know that the reason that the cop is stating for killing him that he came at him with a pole. You wouldn't know that uh, <laughs> the city's investigator found no evidence that he had a pole and that they found a hat in his hands, not a pole. Uh, you wouldn't know that <laughs> that a jury of his peers in white majority conservative Dale County, Ozark, Alabama, convicted him of manslaughter. I mean, it's just crazy. But 1819 News wants you to take them seriously. They want you to believe that they are a straight news organization. Sounds like they need to rise to the moment of truth. Hmm. As their website declares. Sounds like it. Uh, I'm so, I, can't, I can't get over re- trying to have a report on this story and you're not even going to address the victim yeah. at all. No words from the victim's family at all or anybody who know who knew him. Nothing at all about this guy. Interesting. Well, Bonkers. yeah, I think file that co- under more uh, 1819 news BS. Yeah, that file is getting quite thick. Yeah. And I want to keep I, I mean, I think I, I do want to keep talking about some of the stuff that they do, because I, I think Yellowhammer and obviously conservative talk radio hosts, you know, they're a lot more transparent about um, we're a conservative media propaganda machine, right? But 1819 News, the way that they've got their site, the way that they advertise, they really want you to take them seriously as a journalistic institution. And so uh, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to take them seriously. Uh, I'm going to hold them to the standards of like a real news institution um, because I don't I, – and, and I hope – I hope that um, – we're able to get enough clips out there that if somebody is interested in the reputability of 1819 News, they come across some of our videos and they see that, oh, yeah, uh, they're full of crap. That's my hope. We've got a, a, about 
10 more minutes, eight more minutes, I think. Uh, and, and so I think we can get to some of the stuff about Medicaid expansion, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially while we're on the subject of Alabama and Alabama politics. Uh, there were two op-eds published recently that remind us of the urgent need to expand Medicaid in the state of Alabama. Robin Hyden, the executive director of Alabama Arise, wrote in the Selma Sun last month about the decade of missed opportunity, the 17 hospitals that have closed, the more than 600 Alabamians who die every year due to lack of health coverage, and the more than 300,000 working-class Alabamians who would gain health care through Medicaid expansion. She also shared how 38 other states have done so and benefited, including other southern states like Arkansas and Louisiana. Now, Arkansas and Louisiana, not exactly New York and California. In a similar piece, David Bronner, head of the Retirement Systems of Alabama, once again used his platform of the RSA advisor to call on Alabama leadership's, Alabama's leadership to expand Medicaid. And now, you know, David Bronner, head of the retirement system, not exactly a uh, left-wing militant here, not, not a radical by any means, uh, though many Republicans do have a grudge against him. So, again, he... He has uh, frequently called on the state to expand Medicaid, and I really appreciate him using his platform and his voice to do so. Um, he reminded us that former Governor Robert Bentley, the notorious LoveGov, could have done so at literally no cost for the first three years, but he refused. Though now that he's out of office and has literally no accountability or responsibility, he claims to support expanding Medicaid. How convenient. Uh, Bronner also mentioned the billions of dollars Alabama's missing out on by this cruel refusal to expand Medicaid. According to Cover Alabama, which is a coalition uh, spearheaded by Alabama Arise, over 60 percent of Alabamians support expanding Medicaid. Over 60 percent. And, and I know we reported on that previously when the poll came out. Uh, that even a majority of Republicans support it. It would save the state hundreds of millions of dollars, create tens of thousands of jobs, all while literally saving and improving the lives of working-class folks. Medicaid expansion is one of the most clear-cut options on the table for Alabama to improve the lives of its citizens. So, it's 2022. We still haven't done it yet. It's it's really a, a shame. Um, I'll also mention here that the American Rescue Plan uh, did have some incentives for states to finally expand Medicaid. The what twelve that haven't. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, if you haven't called Governor Ivy lately, call down there and wake her up and see see what she has to say. She could do this. The legislature could do this. Um, I don't want to hear any garbage about we can't afford it because it literally pays for itself. If we're going to talk about fiscal responsibility. Um, uh, Alabama Rise also did some reporting quite a while back now, but about how this would actually help the prison crisis. Right. Because expanding Medicaid would 
improve hospitals. It would actually expand. Uh, basically, it would help subsidize some of the prisoner health care. It's like there's no losers here. There, it, It's a win-win-win scenario. Nobody is going to lose in this situation, um, which just makes it all the more frustrating and absurd that it hasn't happened yet. And I think we just have to ask ourselves, why would the leadership of Alabama refuse to do things that would help the state of Alabama and help the people that live here? As we're wrapping up here on the radio, just a few reminders. Uh, Scottsboro Starbucks Workers Union election is coming to a close Ballots are due, mail-in ballots are due next week, and so they are having another round of uh, community support tomorrow, Sunday, August 14th at noon. Um, You can go there and show your support for those folks who are forming a union against intense retaliation. Uh, You can also donate to their GoFundMe to support the folks who have been fired, lost their income, and to the folks who are Uh, facing reduction in hours and retaliation at bit.ly slash Scottsboro dash relief. That is bit.ly forward slash Scottsboro hyphen relief. Also happening tomorrow, the Free Automotive Repair and Service Project, hosted by the North Alabama School for Organizers, is going to be at Knight's Village in Huntsville from 9 to 3, raising money for their free automotive repairs. A new album is out from Lee Baines and the Glory Fires. The album is called Old Time Folks and is through Don Giovanni Records. Get it, folks? It is awesome. Um... Just a reminder that Tuesday, August 23rd, is the local election in Huntsville. Huntsville City Council and Board of Education seats for districts 2, 3, and 4 will be on the ballot. Very important that we show out in this low turnout election. Labor Notes has a series of online trainings this month, including Meet Your Fellow Troublemakers, Investigating Grievances, and Secrets of a Successful Organizer. So if you're looking for some fantastic labor training, go to labornotes.org and register. Energy Alabama is holding a Huntsville meetup on September 15th from 4 to 7, hosted at Straight to Ale Brewing. Energy Alabama members get a free drink ticket. Wow. Uh, And you should sign up for the Alabama Troublemakers School, also at labornotes.org. Going to be in Montevallo. Leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Buy our new hat, our new shirt, or give us money on our website, tvlr.fm. And find us online now where we are going to be continuing the show, talking about some anti-worker propaganda from the New York Times, uh, talking about some weirdos online, and talking to a New York teamster. All power to the workers. You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday. 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 Feed on Thursday.